I have one, one word for you. Zeppelin. Hey, Hi, I was wondering if this was the same Chris T who does um, the radio show. Because um, if it is, I think your show is really great. Um, but if it isn't, um, I'm sorry to have bothered you. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started. Why? What? what are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil. Evil! Ah, look who calls. I know how to talk to people. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Tonks and the mistress get all the headlines. And I won't sure. have to for a few Talk years since I got food no. and stuff. But I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up, gut them, spin them, chop them up. You know what? I'm ready. My daughter's ready. I'll eat my neighbors. See? 
who they is? They! Who the hell is they? Well, actually, my, uh... I don't think I'm a they and a them. I think I'm a he and a him. It's me, Chris T, here on thehoundmyc.com on a Friday night live. I'm very, very happy to be live tonight because my special guest in just a few minutes is W. Earl Brown. And he'll give us an update on what's been happening with him since we spoke last, which is God knows when. It's been a minute. Let's just put it that way. It was right around the time of uh, what happened on the set of Rust, and we had a whole conversation about uh, weapons handling on movie sets, and there's been news since then. And um, we'll discuss all of that. But also, Earl is in a new Apple Plus show, Apple TV show, called Five Days at Memorial about what happened at this pair of hospitals down in New Orleans when uh, Katrina hit in 2005 and especially what happened when the storm surge wiped out the levee system which after a long investigation was found to be utterly inadequate and not up to the task of holding back Lake Pontchartrain and the failure of the U. U.S. Army Civil Corps of Engineers or the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers or whatever the hell they were was described as possibly the greatest engineering failure in the history of this country. The Hound NYC is where you can hear the Hound howl every Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time followed by Crashing a Party, the doo-wop chop shop of the air with Mark and Miriam at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. This is Aerial View, a show that's been around in one form or another since 1989 and has barely gotten any better since then. You would think by now it would be pretty good. (laughs) Uh, It's live radio, by the way. This is not a podcast. It's happening live, and uh, that's what I like. I like the live radio. The show becomes a podcast later, and you can get it wherever you get podcasts. Apple Podcasts and Google and God knows what else. It's it's all over the place. And uh, just look for Aerial View. There aren't too many other shows by that name. Recently, I've decided, because I'm digitizing all these old Aerial Views, that I'm going to start turning those into podcasts as well as part of the regular season. What the hell? Other people do it. I don't know why I've been so purist about, oh, it has to only be live shows on there. Just live shows that become the podcast. No. Those days are over! Done with that shit. And, um... Because we have W. Earl Brown here, let's not waste any more time. I was going to do a lengthy rant sort of intro, but screw that. Sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday. It's called See You Next Tuesday. And you can sign up by sending me an email to aerialviewer at me.com. And uh, let's see if Earl can hear me and I can hear Earl. That would be something, wouldn't it? I, I hear you. Now, how about the other way? I can hear you plain and clear. You're coming through. It's like Peter Sellers and Dr. Strangelove. You're coming through plain and clear and fine, Dimitri. Well, we are live on the air. It's good to have you, and it's been a while since we spoke. Thanks for uh, joining me again. You're a very busy man, so I appreciate you squeezing me into uh, what sounds like a tight schedule. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy two years since... Since we sort of came out from underneath the umbrella of COVID, um, I've gone just one gig right to the other. And the first big one was the one we're talking about now was um, uh, Five Days at Memorial, which uh, we shot in Toronto, ironically, last year. We went down to New Orleans. Some of the stuff in the final episodes when um, the parties in the Garden District and stuff like that that we couldn't really double in New Orleans we are in Toronto – we actually shot down there, but uh, but yeah, that was the first of of five. I, I'm just—it's an embarrassment of riches 
Um, How many episodes are there, by the way? We're up to episode four. We we just finished episode three, so five days of memorial. Uh, there the, are eight. Eight episodes. Eight episodes wow. Too. Yeah. And okay. the first five are literally the, each day, everything that's in the show actually happened, according to, you know, reporting. Um, and each day, each episode is one day. And then the final three episodes are kind of this truncated version of the investigation around it and the possibility of criminal charges. So the show shifts gears. It really grabs you by the throat um, with, you know, the life and death situation those people were living in. Uh, and then the, the final three episodes are about the aftermath of all of that. Now, this is Sherry Fink's book, and it's based on mm-hmm. her article that was published in the New York Times magazine in 2009. It talks about what happened as uh, thousands of people were trapped in this hospital, which is actually a, a pair of hospitals. One mm-hmm. is uh, a long-term care facility, and the other is is a hospital where people have decided to shelter. So in addition to the staff and the patients that are already there, and then the elderly uh, patients that are in life care or whatever the uh, other hospital is called. I think it's life care. Yeah, it, was, it was life care. They life had care. the top floor of the building that they had leased. Now, the building had been there for decades, and it had withstood many, many storms. So, it, you know, it wasn't the storm that did the damage. It was the failure of preparation of, uh, of the levee system and um, the failure to – it was a failure at a federal level, state level, city level, and corporate um, oversight level. It I'm glad to hear you. Year. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you add that last one because that interesting thread comes out. Uh, Cherry Jones, by the way, what a monumental performance. Just start lining the Emmys up in front of her now. She uh, plays the chief administrator of the hospital and, and is deeply frustrated that there's a plan for everything but a flood. There's a plan but for that, everything yeah. but a flood, which seems to me like an oversight. <laughs> Yeah, and they had their generators in the basement. They they had their food storage and water in the basement. And then the first two floors of the thing got flooded. So, you know, they scrambled and got what food and water out that they could. Uh, but once their backup jennies went, they were screwed. You know, they had these people on life support, and you got nurses and staff administration literally hand-puffing ventilators keep oxygen in people's lungs and it was 105 degrees um so and the sewage sewage backed up i mean it was it was dante's deepest level of hell did you read the book um, was, by the way in preparing oh yeah for the role absolutely okay. yeah yeah and then i listened to uh the complete of the the character that i played i listened to sherry's interview she sent us the tape sherry was involved Ewing, um, Dr. Um, Ewing Cook is the name of your character? Yes. Yes. It's based on Dr. Ewing Cook, yes. So, um, and what did Sherry tell you about? Well, she sent me the, I mean, she was open for any questions for any of us. She sent me the link to her entire interview with Dr. Cook. So, I, I'd already read the book, and then I read the, the scripts in order. And the scripts are pretty much follow there's a a few things there's a lot of stuff cut of course because there's so much in the book um and then i sat down and listened to the complete interviews once once i did that and i heard the story in his own voice then i sort of i had a a lasso around it um and so i i didn't really call on sherry any further other than to say thanks what brought you into the character when you say you got a lasso around it? So what was the thing that they said to you, aha, I understand who Dr. Ewan Cook is? Well, just just hearing the story in his own voice. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he somebody had to make some very, very difficult decisions, decisions mm-hmm. that go against everything that go against humanity and go against the doctor's training. Um, somebody had to decide where is the delineation point between life and death. And at what point do we step over that? Mm. And, you know, and he said something in, in the interview that stuck with me. He said, yeah, yes, we had patients, but you have to understand we have staff in the hospital. They have families too. And he said, we, we were told not that we would, might be overrun we were told we were going to be overrun 
Mm. We would be given these reports of all the violence and the, the murders that were happening in the neighborhood. Mm. So he said, I, you know, I need to get my staff home to families. So they basically created, you know, combat triage. Uh, because in normal healthcare situations, the sickest person, the sickest patient gets gets to the front of the line. You know, who's who's closest to death? Well, in this situation, they were all just uh, uh, a fraction away from death. So they created triage. Whoever has the chance, the, the greatest chance to live, they go first. There's and a then, scene you know, in- and there, there were tags, you know, they were patients were black tagged. These right. are people that are very near death, and even if they survive this, they're going to be dead in weeks or months. So you know, and and how do you make that decision? This and, is and literally this is literally playing life and death. I mean, it's literally yeah. playing God. It's a life yeah. and death decision. And the scene that we just watched—they're trying to bring this preemie, this premature baby, up to the helipad on the roof mm-hmm. of the hospital. And it's just harrowing. I mean, kudos to the production staff because this climb up this ancient rusted set of steps because the elevator of course is not powered by the generators i guess only what's mm-hmm. essential is powered by the generators so they have these this team of nurses and the mother have to carry this premature baby up this set of steps and it's it's really bravura filmmaking so kudos yeah, well, to the production staff well, well with that you, you mentioned the helicopter pet it had not even been checked by an engineer and since the pope's visit and I forget what year, the, how many years that passed. 1997, there. because there's a correction yeah. in that scene, right? Somebody thinks it's 2001, yep. and somebody says, no, it's ni- it was 1997 when the Pope was here. So Yeah, and that's the last time it was used, and nobody even checked it since. Yeah, And then and, and they had to get all the patients, not just up that ramp, they had to get them down the stairs in the hospital, through a hole in the wall on the second floor, and then up. And they had there, there was some pickup trucks. They were they realized they could use staff's uh, vehicles that were parked there that weren't submerged. So they pulled a pickup truck up and would, were taking uh, patients up, you know, with a truck um, at a later point. But uh, but yeah, they had a, a a mass exodus of humanity. Oh, just such a I mean, just a really harrowing thing to watch. But I, I wanted to ask because you said you wanted to Toronto. How many millions of gallons of water were in this tank? I, I forget if I read six million or like some. Well, well, we I don't know the 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 count of water, but it was jaw dropping when I saw it. We built it. Yeah, we basically took a parking lot about the size of oh two or three football fields, and they built it into a swimming pool, and they built that the exit of the emergency room uh, that was built there. And then we drove cars in and we flooded it to where you could just see the roof of the cars, you know, and they filmed it as the water was rising because we were purposefully rising that water in production, but it was in a parking lot in Hamilton, Ontario uh, is where that was built. Wow. Hamilton, Ontario. (laughs) Yeah. We had boats. I mean, it it was gargantuan. Yeah, you know, we had boats actually operating in our pool that we built. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a very very big undertaking. And then uh, you got to spend some time in New Orleans as well and shoot down there on location. Well, yeah, I only went down for two days. I um, I would love to have spent. I love New Orleans. It was one of my favorite cities to go visit. Uh, but I was actually shooting a show in Brooklyn. Mm. And um, so I was released for a couple of days to to go down to New Orleans and finish up five days. So I, I didn't get to partake of New Orleans delicacies as much as I would like to have. Well, but yes, I did get to go. For the a few last days. time I was there was the last time I saw you. I got off of the Outlaw Country Cruise in 2018, and, oh, yeah. and me and my friend Jim, <laughs> whose last name is also Brown, spent the day. And and the night and the next day in New Orleans. And so that was fantastic. Yeah. I used to go every year. I had friends that lived in the French Quarter. Then they'd move to the Garden District. And then they were on Magazine Street. And every time I would go, every year I'd go see them. And, and uh, didn't see them again after 2005, unfortunately. They got evacuated to Houston, which happens in five days at Memorial as well. There's talk uh-huh. of taking people to Texas and going across yep. the Gulf. Uh, it just hugely 
I mean, my friend uh, who was down there, Dave, got evacuated to Houston and <clears throat> eventually found his way back. This is the pull and the lure of New Orleans. He he moved back and, and he now lives there and he would probably never leave. I, I don't see any conditions under which he would ever go. So it's there, good that there's no city. Yeah, there's no city like it in the world that I've visited. Now, my, you know, my travels in Europe are, are not that vast. So my experience over there is not too broad, but I can't compare it to anything. Like I go to Canada and and because I've worked everywhere in Canada and, you know, Toronto reminds me a lot of Chicago. Uh, Calgary reminds me a lot of Denver. Vancouver is basically Seattle all over again. Yeah, you know, there's nothing there's nothing like New Orleans anywhere that I've been. Um, it has its own unique spirit. And, and that it, so I, I go ahead and and that tragedy of like the, this unique American city and being abandoned during this 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 storm yeah. and um, being left to its own devices. I mean, it's like you're living through it again. So uh, again, a great job with the the writing and the production. But can we talk about the cast for a minute? Because we mentioned Cherry yeah. Jones earlier. Do you want to? Say anything in particular about Cherry Jones? You were on your Facebook page not long ago talking about yeah. her. So how long have you known her? Well, uh, I mean, I've only known her. I've only met her on this show. we known of her mm-hmm. since I was 12 years old. Um, she grew up in Paris, Tennessee, which was Paris is only about um, 15 to 20 miles away from Murray, Kentucky, where I grew up. I grew up out in the county. Actually, my wife. Um, she's from Murray also. She grew up right by the state line in Tennessee. So Paris is nearby. I, I went to drama school in the summer of 1977. I was 13 and it was hosted by Murray state, the regional university where I ended up going to college years later. But, um, we had, uh, Miss Ruby Crowder. She was the head of the drama program. It was for speech and debate kids, but Miss Ruby taught drama. And she talked about at length, she said, she told me, I'd been there for a few days. She goes, you remind me of a former student of mine, Cherry, Cherry Jones. Cherry is currently on scholarship at Carnegie Mellon, and she's going to be a professional actor. And I remember that just sounded like the most exotic, unattainable thing possible. So, you know, that you would move away from there and, she, of course, she was in Pittsburgh, go to an exotic place like Pittsburgh, and, and that somebody could actually be from my neck of the woods, could be a real actor. So um, Cherry, was, so it was always kind of the North Star for me. And then uh, when I decided that, yeah, I'm going to pursue this, and I was going to go away to Chicago to get my MFA and try to get started there. Last time I, well, no, I saw Miss Ruby at my, at my wedding a few years later. But Ruby told me when I was leaving, she said, Earl, I have had a very good feeling about you ever since you was a little boy. And I've only had that feeling one other time. And that was with Cherry Jones. And Cherry is doing very well. And I'm sure you're going to do well, too. So um, I was in in New York in um, oh, oh 09, I think it was, or 10. And I was walking down the street in Manhattan, and I saw Cherry's name on a marquee. It was uh, Tongue of a Bird, I think was the name of the play. So I bought a ticket and I went to see. So I saw Cherry on stage for the first time. Uh, Of course, her legend precedes her. You know, she's absolutely brilliant. She's one of the best that we have. And I was a stage door Johnny. I went back and waited by the stage door when she came out. Of course, the play, she goes, that play just wiped me out every performance. And I said, well, I stood there. I shook your hand and just mentioned Miss Ruby. And you, oh, you you knew Miss Ruby. So, uh, so I can say I met her then, but I mm. got to know her uh, doing five days at Memorial. And now you two are hanging out in each other's backyards and barbecuing <laughs> all the time and talking about uh, growing up in Tennessee and Kentucky, hopefully. I mean, I read an article recently about how hard it is to make friends when you're an adult. Like, it's just apparently much more <laughs> difficult so how do you, like, what if you wanted to be friends with Cherry Jones? What would you do? Would you invite her to a KISS concert? I mean, what, what do you think, <laughs> what do you think is going to... I somehow, I somehow don't think Cherry would uh, enjoy 
the uh well how do <laughs> you know entertainment value of kiss how do you know because i've talked to her oh, okay she, all right she's a all musical right. theater person yeah um uh, we I, I introduced her to um uh, one of vera vera farmiga's the number she's the lead in the show from clifton and, new jersey yep, oh! and we have it we have a history. We've worked together before. Mm-hmm. And then one of her dear friends, she lives in, in upstate New York. And one of their neighbors who have, who have a second home there is Scott Ian and Pearl a day. Scott now Pearl Ian, they're married. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Pearl is meatloaf's daughter. Meatloaf's daughter. That's right. Yeah. I got to know Pearl because I did the meatloaf movie yes. 22 years ago. Yeah. And so Pearl and Amanda, her sister are still dear friends of mine. Anyway, we were at the party. Pearl was there with Vera. Um, Scott, her husband, is with the metal band Anthrax. They're right. out on tour. So she was there, and she wanted to meet Cherry. So I introduced her. And Cherry told the story. She said, I actually waited on your daddy. She said, I was in New York. I, I was you know, trying to, to get my career going. And he was there with a couple of his friends, and I had no idea who he was. And uh, she said, because uh, I don't listen, I knew musical theater. I, I didn't listen to rock and roll. And I said, well, he and Jim both started in musical uh, theater. Yeah, it's not and, a far throw from there to musical yeah, theater, yes. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, she and Pearl had a moment of uh, her telling the story of waiting on Meatloaf in 1978. You know, things had exploded for him, and he... He was on the map at that point. Right. And but, by the uh, way, Bad yeah, Out of she, Hell was a show. Didn't they turn that into a show? Maybe that's your that's what you did. Jimmy Jimmy did. He yeah. he tried to turn it into a show. I, I think there is some semblance of it that's going up um I forget where. Because Jim passed away. You know, they yeah. both died last year. Did you Jimmy read died. did you read that his house is for sale? Jim Steinman apparently I had a did. very strange house. I saw house. that. Yeah. And it's exactly like he left it. It's yeah. everything, you know. It's wild. Uh, yeah, I people are touring that. They're calling up the realtor just so they could see Jim Steinman's house. I have no doubt. I thought uh, if I was nearby, I would. Yeah, <laughs> W. O. Brown is my guest here on Aerial View. We're talking about five days and a memorial. There's a lot to talk about around it. I mean, uh, we mentioned Cherry Jones and and Vera Farmiga, and who else in the cast do you want to uh, shout out to? Um, well, Julianne Emery is extraordinary. Um, she plays the, the administrator of life care upstairs. Yeah. She's basically as Cherry Jones's character is to our staff. Julianne is to that staff. So, you know, she carries a lot of weight in the show and it's, um, it, she's extraordinary along with the other two. So, uh, Cornelius Smith Jr. is Dr. Brian mm-hmm. King. You have Robert Pine, uh, Dr. Horace Baltz. These are all mm-hmm. actual people. And these are all people playing actual people. You've played actual people before. We just mentioned Meatloaf. And Dan mm-hmm. Doherty was supposedly an actual person, right? There was a Dan Doherty. So who else have yeah. you played that's at, you know, was an actual person? Um, John Martirano, um, Black Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, yeah, hell, that's an... I'd have to do my homework on that, Chris. Yeah, uh, that's your own. You've there, got your own trivia question. I know there question. are more than that. Yeah, dude. You know, I, it, I, I still have these pinch me moments of like I, I can't, I can't believe that I've been able to live my dream the way I have. Well, you know, I've been in, I've been in a hundred and fifty some odd different movies and TV shows. And that's just titles, you know, not multiple episodes and stuff. That's just titles. So well, that's why I, I use the I honor- lose track. I use the honorific working actor because to me, working actor always meant that you know you put your shoulder to the grindstone and and is it your shoulder or your nose? I always forget. Uh, and you and you do the work and you crank it out and uh, you know a career like yours that just keeps going and going and going is a rarity. Often yeah. people have these careers, then they flame out. I mean, we just had a recent example of that. And so uh, congratulations to you. You're probably doing well, a production you. right now. Are you on the set right now somewhere? No, I'm at okay. home at the moment. I have to – I've been to Pit, been to Pittsburgh. I was doing uh, – am doing a recurring thing on the season two of The Mayor of Kingstown. Mm. And uh, ironically, they shot season one in Toronto – they were up there shooting when we were shooting five days, but they've moved it down to Pittsburgh. 
Um, the story is still the same. This, the, the town within the show has changed, just the location in which they're shooting. So I have to do that. And then I'm committed to doing a Western. Um, I don't know how much of it I can talk about. It's, it's shooting down in Mexico City. Okay. Uh, with, um, so I'm doing that in, in October 19th. I think I start it. And uh, those are the two that are for sure at the moment. And uh, and then, yeah, go yeah, ahead. No, the mayor of Kingstown. It's called. Where can we see yes. that? I. Uh, it's on. It's on Paramount. Oh, okay. Um, the one Paramount streaming Network. service I don't have. Okay, great. It's on I've... Paramount Network on cable. Oh, it okay. airs on that, and then they stream it. I also, I'm currently in the the current season of Hacks. I yeah. did a couple of episodes of that. Yeah, I um, reached out to you. Um, you played Michael on that. It's kind of a mm-hmm. kind of an asshole, basically. What? What? Do you, <laughs> what <laughs> I mean, the great thing about the writing on that show, though, is n- nobody's an asshole for long. I mean, they they do sort of <laughs> you know show you the other sides of these people. Maybe we'll get to see another side of Michael, but he's so far uh, more focused on money than people. Is what it comes down to. <laughs> that guy. Um, but that that's a great show. I mean, come on, that's uh, oh yeah. You know, you, and you think- it's if I said the way that one happened, um, the tornado that came through Western Kentucky and wiped out Mayfield last year, right around, right around Christmas. Mayfield is right near my hometown of Murray. My mother's house is about so twelve miles from Mayfield. Wow. We mm. flew in. We flew in the day after that tornado hit. And as we're driving in, my wife and I, my wife's from my same hometown. All of our families live there. My agent calls and he says, oh, can you do a Zoom meeting with the producers of Hacks? I said, no. Well, they, there's this role. They want you for it. Uh, they're, they're willing to make an offer, but they want to talk with you first. I said, Azim, I'm going into a town. There's no power. There is no phone service. Um I don't know if I'll have cell service. So I have no internet. I have no way of meeting them. And I can't, I have to get back there and help out. So that was, I said, if, if they love me so much, just send them tape. And so a month later, this is January, he calls me, he says, oh, uh, the producers of Hacks have called. They will shoot, you're in two episodes. They'll shoot all of your stuff in one day. I said, hey, man, I, I love the show. I absolutely love it. And I'd love to be on it, but you know, I, but would you Zoom meet with them? I said, oh, yeah, I'm back home. Yes. So I had no idea that Paul, you know, plays her manager on the show, is a creator of the show. He, he and his wife, Lucia, and then Jen, um, they, they created it together. So anyway, it worked out. I did it, shot here in LA, and I had so much fun that day. Because they like to improvise, and I absolutely love to improvise. And, man, we were just cracking each other up. And uh, I told my wife when I got home, I said, man, if I could have a job like that, <laughs> that I could have that much fun every day, and I could come home and sleep in my own bed at night, that'd be the dream right there. So keeping fingers crossed that I eventually get a top-rated TV show that's here in Los Angeles. Well, I mean, that that seems like a statistical probability. There, there's just so much content because of all the streaming services. Yeah. Apple TV being a prime example and Five Days at Memorial being funded by Apple TV. So there, there just seems to me we're, we're living through this period where even though I own all these streaming services, if I saw one-tenth of what's available to me, that would be a lot. I, I would be watching oh, yeah. TV all the yeah. time. So but that's the thing. As a consumer, as a fan, there's so much good stuff. I'm not talking about just like passing, you know, entertainments, but really good, substantial things like Five Days at Memorial that are on the streaming services and 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 still premium cable channels. Um, where it's just an overload of riches right now, you know, and trying to see everything. And I'm not one of these people that can sit there and watch three movies in a day. Because if I see anything that's worth a shit, I want to kind of mull it over, you know? Yeah. I, it, it's like a great meal. You you want to let it digest, you know? Yes. Um, and I'm I'm that way about film or, or uh, episodic television things I watch. And I don't, I mean, I watch silly entertainments. I love them. Um, you know, I love Kiss. I still love Kiss. I don't apologize for it. You I'll should wear Kiss your off and, Kiss badge you know, Kiss, proudly. 
Please. This is not Bob Dylan. Yeah. I love Bob Dylan, you know, but uh, Bob Dylan and Towns Van Zandt, Chris Christopherson, those are like, you know, I kind of sit there and absorb those songs. But Kiss, man, I'll put on a record and just be 14 years old again and just have a blast. So, so yeah, so I'm not this elitist with erudite taste. I only watch the best. You know, no, I don't <laughs> see you as a pinky in the air sort. But did did you hear what Gene Simmons said recently that he would be okay with like twenty year olds putting on the makeup and going out as Kiss? So so Kiss as well, as Menudo basically, you keep recycling uh, and swapping out the members. Would you be okay with that? Uh, no, I no. think that was his pl- his idea when they started this final go round. I've seen them. Uh, well, I went on the cruise, so I saw him twice on the cruise, but I've seen three shows just on this farewell tour. Wow. Um, so it, it, I think it's, you know, I think it's coming to a close. Um, it's winding down. Yeah. But no, I would not. And for the longest time, after Pete, Ader, Ace and Peter were out again, for the longest time, I wouldn't go see Kiss. You know, and then I met Tommy at a, a party at a mutual friend's house. And just the nicest dude. I mean, just a super nice guy. And I'm like, you know what? I'll go see Kiss with Tommy and Eric. It's they're extraordinary. They're and a I, better band. And I've met you Ace, know? and I've interviewed Ace, and he's a prickly sort. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> I've heard he's a prickly sort I've, from the Bronx. Yep. So you know, uh-huh. you know, take that for what you will. But um, I I do hope that they turn the story of Kiss into you know now. They're doing these movies, they you know, series. The one about the Sex Pistols was actually pretty good. I mean, people were getting on it, but I really liked it. I thought Danny Boyle did a, a great job, sort of, because that band was always mythology anyway. And yeah. and people are clamoring for more of these, and they need to get around to doing the Kiss show, the Kiss miniseries about how those guys came together and really took over the world. I mean, they became the biggest thing on the planet. And from yeah. very humble origins, you know. So and that... I, I was, I was, Kiss Alive came out three days after my twelfth birthday party, and I loved the cover. Looked cool, yeah. And I used my birthday money to buy it, and it was the third album that I ever bought with my own money. I bought no, I, it would be the fourth. I bought um, Three Dog Nights, Golden Biscuits, Great Elton John's Greatest Hits. Botman Turner Overdrive's "Not Fragile," mm. and then kiss, and then kiss alive. That is an um, interesting grouping right there. We got to drill. <laughs> we got to drill down on those. By the way, Earl still owns all those records and plays them regularly. I do. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so you said Elton John greatest hits record, uh, Golden yep. Biscuits by Three Dog Night. Three Dog Night, which Who, was a greatest hits album. Yeah, and they were badass. They were badass back in the day. Three Dog Night. They they knew how to well, rock they, those fellas. You know. They took great soul music. Now that I, I listened to Otis Redding and Wilson Pickett mm. and all this stuff that, you know, they covered. Um, but th- there were some good songs in there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, don't Joy forget, of the World. Don't forget Hoyt Axton. Catches. Yeah, don't forget Hoyt Axton and Joy Randy Newman, right? Yeah. So yeah. They, 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 that Hoyt was pretty, pretty good stuff. Yep. Uh, and, and what was the other one you mentioned before Kiss? Oh, Bachman Turner album, Overdrive. Uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Not Fragile. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I got to meet. You ain't seen nothing yet, baby. I've got. I got to meet uh, Bachman and Turner. That was pr- that was pretty good. Talked to both of them, and um, they. I mean, in, proud Canadians. Let's hear it for them. American <laughs> woman is about the United States. In case you were wondering, W. Earl Brown <laughs> is our guest, and we're talking about. Well, right now we took a detour into talking about music, which reminds me, my friend Lori S. from uh, Lynette. Shebird, Lynette Skinner, yeah. as they used to be called, she said to say hello to oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she said Yeah, she I didn't know you guys knew you. one another. Oh, we go back well, to 1986, yes. for God's yeah. sakes. Yeah. yeah. We've known yeah, each she, other a long she time. She comes out. I've seen, I have saw the, the Skinner, you know, when they were calling it Lynette Skinner. I saw them yeah. play once. And then she and her boyfriend come out we, with Sacred Cowboys. They've come out to several of our shows. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I crossed paths with her with me. We haven't played any music since COVID, <clears throat> since you know that we played live, right? So I want to get get back to it, but uh, but yeah, that that's a, it's a small world. How do y'all know one another? From a little radio station called WFMU in New Jersey. It was in East mm-hmm. Orange, New Jersey, and 
Hell, the transmitter is still in West Orange, but the studio is now in Jersey City. But that's where I started doing radio and met her. She was doing radio. I'm trying to get her to do a show here on thehoundnyc.com. We're working on that right now. And hopefully we'll have something going on in the next uh, 30 to 90 days. We'll see. Oh, cool. Uh, but they have a show coming up as well. If she's listening, hopefully she'll text me and tell me where the hell it is because I can't find it on her website. So uh, they're taking they're coming back to live performances. But do you think the Sacred Cowboys would ever mount the stage again? Oh, yeah. oh we want to. It's just a matter of getting us all in one room at the same time. You know, Peter's Peter's a filmmaker. And he's going like gangbusters. He's busy, and I'm busy, and um, we have our own studio. We well, Ralph, <clears throat> Ralph bought a a ranch. It's a couple of acres um, here in in the valley, and he there was a guest house on the property, and he had a, a studio designer come in. He gutted it, and he built a professional studio. So we have our own space. You know, we don't have to go rent rehearsal space and lug around our amps we have a home what a luxury but, um, Jeez, that's but great. both both ralph and mike they're, they're a little bit older than us than the rest i mean none of us are exactly spring chickens but uh they both had some health issues and were very wary of covid so we had to you know keep our distance during all of that um but i think we're now pretty much at a place that we can get it together but i've been the loose cannon because yeah i was in toronto for four months then i was in brooklyn for six weeks and then i've been to pittsburgh and new orleans and philly and um you know working all over the place so racking up those miles uh, well i feel bad about like if we we had a residency gig at molly malone's we did it for almost a year we were playing once a month and and I'm determined if I say I'm going to do something, if I've given my band the word, if I've given the club or bar the word that we're going to play, my God, we're going to play, you know. And if I'm in Atlanta or Wilmington, I had that, you know, I'm in Wilmington and I got to travel back here, uh, you know, to play a club gig that I'm going to walk away with a hundred bucks. <laughs> well, know? Earl, um, uh, here's your here's your chance uh, because Lori just texted me maybe open you could open sacred cowboys opening for honky tonk women september 23rd at the sardine in san pedro how does that strike you does that sound appealing at all no well see uh, i i can't because i'm floating on uh mayor of kingstown i don't have my dates yet yeah i have my dates for mexico city but i don't have kingstown well, so, if you're you know, available September 23rd, I, you run down the five or whatever the hell it is that goes down to San Pedro, Harbor Freeway, yeah. whatever they call it, and you duplicate the cover of uh, Double Nickels on the Dime, you know, and then you'll you'll have it all going on. <laughs> Do you know Mike Watt, well, by the way? It seems like Mike Watt should be a guy that you talk to. You know, I the, mean, I know who he is, Yeah, I don't know him, no. Yeah, if you get down to I, San Pedro, just my... yell out his name. He'll be somewhere nearby. <laughs> well, I most of my friends that here in LA, like my card group and stuff, you know, mostly are musicians. Mm. Um, and then Nashville, cause I know a bunch of folks in Nashville. Um, so yeah, most of my pal around folks, not everybody, mm. but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's players. Is that why, is that because playing poker with actors would just be what? No, would everyone there's be- actors that play poker. It's just yeah. Jerry Cantrell hosts it. Yeah. Jerry has this big old house and he lives by himself and, He's got all kind of space, and he loves to play poker. Right. And, oh well, there's another one. There's something else I'm doing. We we did a short Jerry of Allison Chains. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a short film with my friend Ted Camp. Uh, it's been on YouTube now three years, I think. We we have 1.3 million views on YouTube. W. Earl Brown is our guest. We're going to reestablish this here meeting and uh, bring him back. Thank you, Zoom for uh making me want to uh <laughs> telling me to sign up i tried to sign up and it didn't work so he, there you are hey earl thanks for joining us once more uh, jerry cantrell uh, got, what about jerry cantrell yeah. okay we got cut off we're back together now right? yes you can hear me i can hear you fine you were telling us oh, okay. about jerry yeah. cantrell and his yeah. poker game yeah, the meeting, the Zoom cut off. I had to go to the other file. So, all right, we're back. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, Jer- Jerry's poker game. We made a short film called Dad Band. That's about the formation and dissolution of a suburban dad band 
in the course of a single afternoon. Uh, and if you've ever played in a band, everything in that in that short film pretty much has happened. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I've played in five or six bands, and absolutely, yeah. I can confirm that. Yes. Well, well, we had we have one point three million views on YouTube. We want to make a bigger. We want to do it the, perfectly. We'd get to do ten half hour episodes because I have a complete story of how that's the beginning of it. That's the beginning of the band. But uh, but we made our short at first, and we went knocking on doors, and and Hollywood was like, yeah, you know what? Just put it out there and see what kind of a response that you get, and uh, and let's let's stay in touch. So we put it up on YouTube with no promotion, no, just put it on YouTube. Ted started a YouTube channel, Men Aging Poorly or Badly, and that was the first thing we put up. Well, somehow we got we caught on fire. And um, we had a million views after about a year. And then the algorithm has chilled off a little bit. Anyway, long story short, we're going to do Dad Band 2. Um, it is written, and we have tentative plans. Alice in Chains wraps, I think, the end of October. And then when I'm back from Mexico City, uh, so hopefully sometime in November, we will be making another short film um, about the further travails of Dad Band but yes, if you're listening to this and you have not seen it yet, even if you have seen it, watch it again. It's on YouTube. It's called Dad, D-A-D, Band. The thumbnail is a picture of Cantrell, who who uh, Jerry plays the character of Terry, mm. uh, and he's on bass because I'm the guitar player. That's that's <laughs> right. And uh, it's 11 minutes and 46 seconds long. It's not going to take a lot out of your day. So go watch Dad Band. It's the second thing that comes up on YouTube after something that's a sponsored ad. So screw those people. Uh, <laughs> Dad Band. It's very funny. I really enjoyed it. And it did. Well, thank you. It did make me cringe as somebody who's been in any number of bands dealing with personalities and schedules and the asshole who doesn't own a vehicle and has the biggest equipment and the equipment needs to get to the gig, but they never went out and bought a vehicle. So it's up to you <laughs> to go get them in their shit, you know? So, uh, yep. very relatable. And if you need any script consultancy on the next one, just reach out. I'll have plenty of stories for you. And by the way, I was talking to Lori last night. She's going to have a segment on her show. Uh, it's tentatively called Lori S. from the West, right? Because she lives now in Silver Lake, all the way from New Jersey. But uh, shitty band stories. And you're going to have to call in to her show as well, Earl, and tell some shitty band stories. Um, I used well, to have a hell of we, a time. We, Go ahead. No, I it, with, Sacred Cowboys just grew out of... Peter hired me to act in. I played a lead in his first dramatic feature. He's a documentary filmmaker and actually an Oscar nominated documentary filmmaker. But 20 and 21 years ago, he decided to make a dramatic feature and he cast me in it. Well, then we became friends and Peter had never listened to country music at all. And I realized I, I didn't even know Peter knew music. I didn't know anything when I got hired. Well, then I realized his band, Z-Toys, won MTV's Basement Tapes in like 1985 or 86. And like he had a very successful, they were regional rock stars. There were two big bands, Z-Toys out of Miami and the Kids out of Jacksonville. Peter was the lead guitar player in uh, the um, Z-Toys. Johnny Depp was the lead guitar player on the Kids. So um, anyway, I introduced Pete to bluegrass music. And he got obsessed with bluegrass. And we just started like sitting around having a guitar pull. One thing led to the other. I had a, a my 40th birthday party. My wife had rented the cat club here on the Sunset Strip. And uh, Pete said, man, we got this club because I'd hired a band to play. And Pete said, we, we should put together a band. I got, I got a buddy. It's a really good drummer. Do you know a bass player? I said, yeah, yeah, I do. So we just, we made a dad band. And we had so much damn fun and it was pretty good. So we just kept doing it. And then uh, we started to write some songs together. And then season two of Deadwood was rapping and they had rented the house of blues for our rap party. Mm. And the producer came to me cause he knew that I was playing music on the weekends. John Hawks was doing the same thing with his band. And the producer came and said, Hey, we don't have any money to pay the bands, but do you guys want to play the house of blues? 
So John Hawks's King Straggler and My Sacred Cowboys were the the party band for the rap party. Well, I went out. Um, there's a, a background guy on the show that was a pedal steel player. And then I realized Mike Mike's the real deal. Mike was the original bass player in the Almond Joys. Mike played pedal steel for Leon Russell. Oh, for my God. Decade. That's a resume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he was in Charlie Pride's band for a couple of years. So and then uh, we needed a piano player. So I got my buddy Ralph, uh, who used to play with Jackie DeShannon. Um, and so who used to date Jimmy we, Page. That, it all comes back to Led Zeppelin in the end, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Well, yeah. we played that we played that House of Blues gig with three rehearsals with that version of the band. And we realized that, oh, sh- shit, we have something here. There's something here. You just you just, I just felt it. And, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta playing. quote this guy on YouTube, Nick Giola, who a year ago said, "I know it's a joke, but I gotta say it. Getting Jerry in your band and making him play bass is like hiring Michelangelo to paint your garage." <laughs> well, that's part of the joke. <laughs> I like it. And there's all sorts of little inside jokes in the movie. <laughs> Did Jerry show so, you any moves on guitar? He must have. Come on. Well, well, he played that solo when. I don't want to spoil the joke, but he mm. plays in the movie. You yeah. never see the band play in the short film. That's part of the joke. Yeah. Um, but you do hear Jerry rip into a solo, a very kind of Hendrix-esque uh, solo thing. But I don't want to spoil the joke around that. So you can see Jerry be Jerry um, in Dad Band. Mm. Hey, were they one of the bands at Woodstock 99? I, I kind of feel like Allison in chains must have played that damn thing we, we've been watching no, I don't, no, documentary about that they weren't they avoided uh, that disaster good for them yeah yeah they didn't well at that point it had kind of it was falling apart mm. at that point oh um, you mean they were they happened. were on the bill but then they left <laughs> they, they left the no i don't up. i don't think they were on the bill okay they're, they're uh they lane passed not too long after that their final shows outside of Unplugged was opening for Kiss. Mm. Um, actually, I think Jerry said Louisville, Kentucky was the last gig that Kiss, when Kiss got back together with the makeup, they asked them to be their opening band for the tour. And as Jerry said, those were our heroes. Um, and, and Lane's problems, you know, the devil had his claws so deep into Lane that Lane couldn't do it, yeah. you know? And, uh, and so, so Alice was pretty much kaput. I don't think Lane had passed yet by 99. I, I want to say he passed like, oh, one or oh, two before I, I've only known Jerry since he's been sober. Uh, we met here at Pearl a day's birthday party by God. Wow. There's hey, another full circle. She's performing so, as uh, well. Isn't she? I mean, I, doesn't she sing with somebody? Oh, she's, yeah. she's extraordinary. Yeah. She, I mean, I, I, I truly, she's extraordinary. She has, she sings with, uh, um, on her own, it's Pearl. Um, and then, uh, is it Mother Superior? Or, no, Motor Sister. Motor Sister. Okay. With her and Jim Wilson. Uh, she's actually going to be at the Ryman this Saturday night. I introduced her and Scott to Cody Jinks and Ward Davis. And Ward is headlining the Ryman Auditorium for the first time in his life. And he and Pearl wrote this incredible country song together called Threads. Mm. And uh, Pearl is going to, she's going to Nashville. Uh, well, hell, today's Friday. It's tomorrow night. Um, Ryman Auditorium. Pearl will be joining Ward on stage to perform that song. So, uh, we're running so yes, out of, Pearl is. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Earl. I was just going to say we're running out of oh. road, and I haven't asked you yet because uh, in Five Days at Memorial, your character is seen with a pistol in one scene and I thought of Chekhov's gun and at some point that gun is going to go off. Don't tell me, don't spoil it. But we, the last time we spoke, we talked about the handling of weapons on set. There's been an update with uh, the whole situation with Rust and I wondered if you wanted to weigh in and what the findings were in that investigation, namely that there was no way that that pistol could have discharged by itself, that the trigger was pulled. Uh, you know, I wasn't there. I did not witness the circumstance. All I know is I, what I've what I've read, yeah. and I followed it closely. If if the rules are followed on a set, it is incredibly safe for us to use weaponry if the rules are followed. But there were at least a dozen of them that were broken um, in the process of that show. 
So um, that's all I have to say on the matter. They were fined the maximum they could be fined. They're protesting mm-hmm. the fine. The producer, when I say they, I mean the well, producers of the film, Rust. And it, I'm still, you know, I, I still favor using real weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we can CGI stuff in, and, and I've done it. You know, on True Detective, the top of my head got blown off uh, in live action. Now, we had live action rounds being shot as we did that, but the special effects is all CGI. And it's so quick and instantaneous that it looks completely real. But I prefer real effects as much as possible, whether I'm wearing a squib, you know, getting shot or whether I'm firing a weapon. Well, um, I got to ask you as we wrap up, because the thing that I'm watching on, on Disney right now that I'm really enjoying is the history of ILM. Are you watching that that uh, documentary yet, about no. the history of industrial light and magic? It's just really, really fascinating and especially the pivot from building actual models and filming actual things to this creation of cgi they bring you into that moment when when george lucas has this realization we could use computers to do this it seems like a simple thing but so revolutionary um but i still appreciate it when people build miniatures when they do stop motion when they fill a tank up in toronto with millions of gallons of water because, you, you know, that word vermissitude is pretty important when it comes to suspending disbelief when you're watching a film, when you're watching a show. And yep. so to have that, I feel, is really important. That's why as much as I know people love like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that stuff, sometimes I can't be pulled in enough because the CGI sort of stands between me and the production. Does that sound bizarre to say that? No, I okay. feel the exact same way. Yeah. Um, you know, I work – well, you know, the other big thing I'm in is I'm in Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Right. You know, now I'm on – all my stuff's on Tatooine, and Tatooine was an actual set. It's built. So, you know, when I stepped off the van, I stepped onto Tatooine. Um, but so much of that is done on the stage. I did one scene on the stage um, in – I always forget the name of that that they built to create that. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I prefer the real world as much as possible. I'm going through that now when there's a horror film that I've written and I'm talking with the producer and that, that I hope gets keeping my fingers crossed, but I want our, you know, we're talking about how we can do certain of the, the sequences in it. Um, and I, I, I want to do as much actual as I possibly can. And then, you know, you just kind of frost it with some CGI. Um, you know, to make it a little bigger, but I want to do actual effects. Well, that is uh, all the time we have, W.R.O. Brown. I do appreciate right. it. We, we There's so much more we could talk about, and I hope to see you again in person at some point. Are you going to be aboard uh, the West Coast Outlaw Country Cruise? or uh, I can't. Be- can't do because it. Because of Scheduling the, conflict. the movie in Mexico. Right. I plan on going next February on the, the Florida cruise. Okay. I'm going to carve out time to do that. Last time I saw um, you in person was in that Lucinda Williams after party, and I was wearing mm-hmm. my trucking suit and <laughs> making an ass of myself yep. in front of people. But uh, Earl was there, and that's that's too long. I hope to see you again before too much longer. We canceled that California vacation, but we're... Hoping to head out there in the wintertime. So I'll, 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 if you're not. Oh, give me a shout. If you're not away, yes, we'll go get together and go see Lynette Shebird. How's that? Or Honky Talk All right, Women. man. Sounds good. Earl, always a pleasure. Thank you for All joining right. me. Take care. There see goes uh, W. Earl Brown. And you could see him right now in five days at Memorial on Apple TV. There's a plus sign after it. I never know whether to say Apple Plus or what the hell it is, but. This is uh, Chris T. here on thehoundnyc.com. You've been listening to Aerial View. Don't forget, Sunday at 3 p.m., Hound Howl, followed by Crash and the Party. Do-Wop Chop Shop of the Air with Mark and Miriam. And stay right here for more vintage hound shows.